Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here today to discuss A Bug's Life, episode 18 of season one of Farscape. Yeah, we are in the home stretch now, like actually the home stretch. Stuff that happens in this episode directly leads to all of the stuff that's going to happen in the finale of this season. Hmm. Yeah. It's funny, we were watching the episode and you heard the phrase the gamut base and we're like, gamut base? And to be with somebody who is like hearing that for the first time and knowing how vital that is to the plot of the rest of the series, I was like, yes, the gamut base. It's, it's specifically Scorpius's stronghold. And I know you know about the bondage alien because you've seen the covers of the DVDs. Yes, yes, I have. This episode, in fact, look at that segue. In fact, this episode was written by Rocknius O'Bannon, who is the creator of Farscape. So it uh, really tracks for me because... It's a Constance Emberge situation. Exactly. For those of you who listen to our Charmed podcast... Creators do lore episodes. Everyone else does filler. Well, this show and Charmed both have episodes that are lore episodes written by other, you know, standbys. But yeah, the real big ones, the ones that really matter. Yeah. That's what the creators do. It's funny you said it's a Constance and Burge situation because we do a Charmed podcast, when really I think the more accurate thing would have been, like, it's a Joss Whedon situation. Mm. We're not touching that, though. No, we are not! Okay, this episode was directed by Tony Tilsay, who we've also talked about before. He's, like, Farscape mainstay. He directed previous episodes we've done, including PK Tech Girl. That's the one with the belching frog aliens. Yes. Also, that was kind of a direct riff on another sci-fi classic. It's true. PK Tech Girl really riffs a lot on Alien. And this episode, as we'll discuss, really riffs on The Thing. Mm-hmm. And that kind of general... Shape-shifting alien possession. Could be any one of the crew. But I- The Thing. Specifically, John Carpenter's The Thing. Right. Yeah, the thing that this most reminded me of was not actually The Thing, but The Thing ripoff, The Faculty... Starry John Stewart. The, the the Daily Show guy. Yeah, the Daily Show guy. Not the Green Lantern. Not the Green Lantern. It's hard for him to be in movies because he's fictional. It's true. It's Although true. one might think that would make it easier for him to be in movies, but... And yet... I guess it could have been Phil Lamar. He yeah, was, He yeah. was John Stewart, right? No. I... I, believe, I would believe it. I don't know that for a fact, but I believe it. He's a very prolific voice actor, so. Gotcha. You know, if, you, if you're if you guessing, you know, a character was probably played by Phil Lamar at some point. He's like, uh, what, what is it? Gray Griffin Delisle. She was like Gray Delisle, and then she married some guy named Griffin, and then she was Gray Griffin for a while, and then I think she started hyphenating it because no one knew who Gray Griffin was. Oh, you know, it's hard. Patriarchy, man. Hmm patriarchy i think that's the situation i just know that she changed it and then she merged it because no one knew who she was after she started being greg griffin like courtney cox arquette yes god <laughs> do you remember the episode of friends right after she got married where she- they did a dash arquette to everyone's names yes everybody credited themselves as their last name dash arquette just to like i don't know if they were teasing her or honoring her honestly <laughs> i mean i feel like it's more teasing i feel like being married to David Arquette's not the sort of thing you're proud of. Oh, wow. Burn on David Arquette. I'm sorry. Has he been in anything good that wasn't Scream? I, maybe, uh, no. I don't know. Can you think of anything he's been in that wasn't Scream? I, I genuinely can't. I genuinely can't. I know he was in that I movie sh- with uh, 
God, I think one of the lesser Baldwins that was about professional wrestling. Oh, of course, David Arquette was in Eight-Legged Freaks. Oh my God, how did I... Remember when there was that, like, brief spider phase in the 90s? <laughs> I do Slash remember early that. early 2000s. Eight, arachnophobia, Eight-Legged Freaks, others probably. I know there were others. Yeah. <laughs> that was a subgenre for a while. He was also in... Okay, let's see what else he was in. He was in Muppets from Space and a very merry Muppet Christmas movie. Wow, the Muppet movies nobody likes. I think some people like Muppets from Space. Really? Oh, yeah. That's the one where we find out Gonzo's an alien. I feel like a lot of people were into that one. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say anything good about that movie. Okay, so that one came out when I was in high school, I want to say. What what year did that come out? Yeah, 1999. That's the year I graduated high school. And I feel like there was a contingent of older people who had aged out of the Muppets, but were kind of like into how weird that one movie was. Okay, I mostly remember people being like, you know, it's a pity they haven't made a Muppet movie since Muppets Take Manhattan. I think. Mm-hmm. Is the movie you were talking about Ready to Rumble? Yes. Yes, it was. Did you know that David Arquette was in uh, The Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl in 3D? Really? Did he work with Robert Rodriguez at some point? Because I know Robert Rodriguez likes, like, his friends are in every movie he does. He, um, he's like a competent Adam Sandler. Browsing, well, a lot of directors do that, but Browsing yeah. Quickly, that's the only Robert Rodriguez movie I see that he was in. He might have been in others, but that's the only one I see. And I can't believe we didn't mention, of course, the first place almost everybody saw him, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. Oh my God, that's right. He was Luke Perry's best friend in that, the one who becomes a vampire. <laughs> He's the Jesse. Oh my God, he is the Jesse in that. Wow. Yeah. I resent the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie for... If nothing else, there's always, you know, news headlines. Buffy the Vampire Slayer actor says something super right-wing and blah, blah, blah. And I'm, it always gets me and it's always what's-her-face from the movie. Christy Swanson? Yeah, it's always Christy Swanson. And you'd think I would learn by now, but I'm like, has Nicholas Brendan finally gone over the edge? I mean, Cause I feel, yes. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> politically speaking, I know personally he's... He stopped getting invited to conventions, remember? I do remember the last time we were at Emerald City. He was across the street at the Cheesecake Factory signing things for people, and it was just the saddest thing on earth. Doesn't that seem like the kind of thing that would be a plot point in, like, Uh, a satirical movie about Hollywood? Like, isn't that something you would see if the comeback was about a woman who had been on a sci-fi show as opposed to a sitcom? Oh, I was thinking it would be like an a-, a sad former actor's alibi on an episode of Law and Order. Oh, I was going a different direction, but yeah, I could see that too. Oh my god! Like he'd tell the cops that he was signing autographs outside of a convention, and they'd be like, "Ah, oh, but he wasn't at the convention, like halfway through the case." And then that's what it would turn out to be, you know? Because yeah, he, he's the what did they call it? Like the sec, like the secondary suspect, you know, in in law shows where it like the red herring. Yeah, but, like, the secondary red herring where they're like, wait, maybe it is so-and-so, but it's actually the person before so-and-so. Oh, I didn't realize there was a name for that person. I feel like there is. I don't know if there is. It feels like the sort of very specific role, because it shows up in a ton of stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. I I feel like that could have been a thing. I feel like they could have gone that direction on Entourage. God, was he ever on Entourage? No, not 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 Nicholas Brendan or David Arquette. Um, but on Entourage, uh, Johnny Drama, 
Who's the main guy's name? Adrian Greer. Yeah, yeah. His his brother is an actor who was on like a sci-fi show. Yeah, wasn't it like a Hercules the Legendary Journeys-esque thing and then uh, it got eclipsed by It's Xena? Yeah, it did get eclipsed by It's Xena, which makes sense. Yeah, because they, they did an episode where they go to a comic book convention because Entourage is cast as Aquaman, so he's like promoting it. Johnny Entourage. Well, no, because his brother's name is Johnny, so so Entourage. <laughs> okay. And his brother is a much bigger deal at the convention, and it's like, oh, everything's flipped. But if they decided not to do that storyline, I can totally see them doing a storyline where Johnny Drama is outside trying to sign autographs. I remember this, like, news article, like, when the superhero boom first started, was talking about Aquaman as the best-selling movie of all time or whatever it's like it's the dark knight is competing against aquaman and the aquaman movie had not come out the person had googled it and got the inform the fake information from in universe and entourage oh that's funny well entourage did foresee a bunch of things like the the disastrously bad pablo escobar movie and the improbably successful aquaman movie yeah we need to stop talking about real life jerks and start talking about a bug's life. Which, not to immediately go off on another tangent, short one. The movie had come out by this point, right? Like this is no, this the- is a take on. The, the, yeah, that's they're referencing Pixar with their title. Yes. Okay. okay. Yeah. So weird. It's the Pixar movie no one talks about outside of that one meme. Or have you seen that post that it went viral? It was from a Disney Ask blog. Uh-huh. And it's like, dear Anon, please stop sending us asks about how attracted you are to the grandmother queen aunt from A Bug's Life. We get it. You're sending us dozens of messages a day. <laughs> we we can't handle all of these messages. We understand. Please stop telling us about this. That's hilarious. But it's it's a play because it's a it's a play on words ish because it's, it's a, a reference. Well, I mean, because it's a virus in this. It's a right, yes. bug like a virus. Yeah. All right. So, as the episode opens, Dargo is being chained up, and he's like, "I I swore that I'd never allow myself to be chained again." Clearly ignoring like half a dozen episodes we've done so far. Yeah. Yeah. Like, remember? I I'm sure there are other examples, but. Remember the the desert planet one? Yes. That, yeah. that was Till the Blood Runs Clear, the other episode directed by Tony Tilsey. Oh. Yeah. So it's not a very good promise. <laughs> I mean, I guess you can just say anything, but. Uh, yeah. I'm, but I think it's good in this episode to emphasize that Dargo is very unhappy with being forced to do the, uh, the Wookiee. Wait, what is this called? The Wookiee prisoner trick. Yes, yes. Dargo is very unhappy with having to do the Wookiee prisoner trick. Yes. Which is essentially what they're doing. We're setting this up. Zan is chaining up Dargo, and the situation is, as Pilot alerts us, there is a peacekeeper marauder close to them that is going to board them. So they have to pretend to once more be a prison ship so that they can pass by unmolested. We get this sequence of Erin gearing up in her old peacekeeper outfit. Okay, so... I love that the Peacekeeper outfit, I know you can't do this too much. I love that it has the same kind of clips that, like, you know, you see in basic Earth clothes. Just like, yeah, your standard. Sorry, I I have one here in my sewing kit right next to us 
for later when I make a Peacekeeper outfit. And I actually picked it up to see what it's called. They're called side locks, apparently, I guess. So, okay, side lock. Yeah. But, I mean, I get it. You have to use Earth stuff at some point. But, like, it's just kind of hilarious that the evil alien space overlord race uses the same buckles that we do here on Earth. It's just, it, they're so satisfying when they click, too. Like, click. They are. Click. The Peacekeeper uniforms are really badass, and we're going to talk about that more in just a second. But they're really badass with their black and red leather. And Pilot also says that he's sure that the Marauder ship is not Krace's command carrier. Oh, a Krace reference. It must be, what? Once every four episodes now. He gets mentioned in the opening crawl. He's been in, what, two episodes at this point? It's weird. I hadn't realized how seldom we see him before he ceases to be the big bad. Because, spoiler alert, next episode we're going to finally meet Scorpius. So, what was the point of Krace? I mean, I guess it was to keep them running, but you'd think he'd show up more. Slash, at all, really? Well... Not to spoiler again, but he's going to show up a lot more when he's not the big bad than he did when he was. Okay. So, yes, they have to pretend to be a prison ship to fool the peacekeepers who are coming instead of just turning up the heat a little bit. It's true, they could just turn up the heat a little bit. Well, they do say when Xan is locking up Dargo that they should try this John's way. They should try John's plan. And we'll learn as the episode goes on that John argued for pretending to be peacekeepers as opposed to just killing them as soon as they boarded in order to get information from them. I guess I understand on a practical level why they're uh, sweating Crace, but... Okay, you're right, but all of the things that, like a series of dominoes, fall from this encounter would not have happened if John didn't insist on trying to get information out of them. And one of those things is humanity getting a really, really important space weapon. So. All right. So Aaron is greeting the marauders as they come aboard. She asks them, she says, identify yourself. She asks them their. Name and serial number, basically. Their, their regiment and. Rank. Which is what she said to John when they first met. It's like a callback to that first meeting. Yeah. And uh, she tells them who's. Who she is, Aaron Soon, which you think would not be the best idea since she. I guess she's not that notable. Yeah, I guess she's not as. I guess she's not that notorious. I mean, I guess she wasn't included on the wanted beam that was sent across the universe. She definitely wasn't because remember, Crace wanted to try to convince her to come back. Yeah. Remember, he had the secret message for her in the beacon, and again, that was Tony Chelsea's episode, so he knows that. Was Crace well regarded as a peacekeeper before this whole thing went down? It's a good question. Did I don't really know. I mean, he was he was high ranking. I bet I think he was just. I think he was just a commander. Like I, I don't think he was anything special. Okay. He wasn't like a grand high pumbaa or whatever. Yeah, or... no, he's just he was just one commander out of many, just running one command carrier out of many command carriers. Aaron and Larocque, Larocque is the name of the head of the special ops guys who board. Aaron and Larocque do this weird peacekeeper style of flirting where he's like, this is a pretty big ship for one little girl. And she's all like, I can handle big. So we do have sexism in the peacekeeper uh, community. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, it's a show written by humans, so it's going to spill over. Mm. I think in general, peacekeepers aren't actually sexist. I think that, you know, Rock Me S. O'Bannon just didn't know any other way to write flirting. So then... Also, the one peacekeeper woman on the... Is there only one... There, there's only one peacekeeper woman on the team, right? Yeah. Yeah, they do, they do also have kind of... In the peacekeeper teams that we see, they have that Smurfette effect... Yes, where there's like five peacekeepers and then one is the girl. The blonde girl. It is true. It is a blonde girl. This is why Aaron couldn't get into a... Yeah. She was held back by her hair color. So... Now the door opens. Also, uh, just a little carryover from our uh, Charmed episode, but being a blonde woman is not going to pay off for this character. It's funny that you say that and you don't even know what's happening in the next episode. Mm-hmm. It's not good. It's not. Next episode is not a good episode for blonde women. Oof. Yeah. So this terse standoff between Aaron and flirty marauder guy is interrupted by by John. Yes. The door opens and John comes striding in in a commander uniform. Don't love it. John is going to pretend to be the commander because he's the one who fit into the commander uniform. Yes. But, all right, first of all, a warning. He's doing a voice. Oh my god, he's fake British for like half the episode. It's really bad. It's awful. I mean, it's supposed to be bad. It's supposed to be humorously bad. It just, I feel like they didn't calculate just how long he would be talking in this humorously bad voice. Okay, but you know what it reminds me of? What? Going back to our Charmed podcast, he sounds like Evil Wyatt. (laughs) Okay, yeah, I can see that. Oh, Chris, you're always stuck in the old moros between good and evil. My actor was from Alabama. Well, okay, this is what's happening with Ben Browder, right? He's supposed to be a small town boy from a square state, but he's like, well... I'm supposed to be the evil commander, and as an American, I mean, Ben Browder's not an American, but John is, and as an American, I think that means a cheesy British accent. Even though the translator microbes, I'm sure, are not picking up your cheesy British accent. Or Or are are they? they? Maybe it's like uh, with subtitles, where it tells you, like, bad British accent. Yes! Oh, okay, so... Subtitles, you know, are not done by the people who do the show generally. And so sometimes, for those of you who watch subtitles, you already know this, they just really, really miss the boat on what's supposed to be being said. Mm. One of the things they get wrong a lot is accents. Yes. And also, they have a real problem with African-American vernacular English, A-A-V-E. As we have noticed watching... uh, Living Single? mm -hmm. Oh, it's painful sometimes how bad it is. But my favorite... Is favorite the right word here? I don't know. My favorite, in quotation marks, mistake is in the Office episode Moroccan Christmas. Mm -hmm. When Andy is playing the sitar and he's singing a Beatles song because the Beatles, as you know, in their later years used the sitar, and he's singing it with a Liverpool accent, but the captions caption it as singing in an exotic accent because they didn't recognize that what Andy was doing was imitating a Liverpool accent. 
They were like, well, he's playing a sitar. He must be trying to do a bad Indian accent. And it's like, no, no, that's not what's happening. Wouldn't it be funny if somebody went back to all the classic Simpsons and every time Apu speaks, they they put up a little Exotic caption. accent. Oh, I was thinking like white guy doing racist Indian accent in quotation marks above every line. Well, I didn't realize how many black characters are voiced by white voice actors. Well, just in The Simpsons alone, like... Yeah. Because they had, you know, they had the big announcement where they're like, okay, we're not going to have characters of color being voiced by... White white guys? Yeah, white dudes anymore. Which, I saw this just awful right-wing take on it where they're like, uh, this is just segregation all over again, which... How? How? We're not even going to dignify that. We're not even going to get into that. I just, how did you get to that point logically? Yes, we're going to hire a more diverse cast, ergo segregation. Anyway, like, I'm like, oh, that's just. Oh, because you saw how many characters were voiced by white actors. And I I know Dan Castellaneta is like half the cast and Harry Shearer's the The other, other half. But. Maybe, maybe we should just stop making new Simpsons episodes. Well, that's a good idea. Oh, speaking of, you know what was surprising to me was that the Cleveland show is still on. Oh, it's not. Oh, it's not? No. he's. They just, they zooped him back to Family Guy once the show got canceled. Oh, okay, because I saw that the... That he said he was going to stop playing the character after like 20 years of being Cleveland. Mike Henry, who is also white. But yeah, no, the Cleveland show was canceled a while ago. They just merged his... Uh, family from the show back into family guy oh okay i am really glad though that uh kristen bell stepped back from central park because that was unfortunate yeah it was uncomfortable i would like to watch central park except i refuse to buy another streaming service it's too much come on no this is a solid episode i don't know why we don't feel like talking about it we are two and a half minutes into this episode maybe it's a solid episode that's making us think about other things we feel passionate about i mean we had this on our charmed podcast with when bad warlocks go good where the episode was fine we just spent it all talking about something else okay but that's different this is better than fine yeah okay we're going on a tangent about our other podcast now but in that instance it was because there was nothing interesting about the episode it was like you said just fine this episode is actively good but i feel like it being good is inflaming our passions or maybe because there's nothing to complain about except Ben Browder's terrible, terrible accent. I mean, it's good because it's The Thing. Oh, yeah. The movie The Thing. Yes. The John Carpenter's movie The Thing. Yes. So, uh, when I was younger, I went to this aggressively hippie school. I'm aware. So, in middle school for Halloween, our teacher rented uh, The Thing, which she thought... What?! The thing is, she thought that she was renting the, the thing original. from another planet? No, she thought she was renting the original thing from, like, the 50s. Yeah, I think that one's called The Thing from Another Planet. Like, it's not called The Thing. I don't know. But instead, she showed us John Carpenter's The Thing, which is a lot. Wait. But this is this is a school where, like, it, w- it was an aggressively granola, crunchy, hippie school where, like, if you said shut up, you would get a long talking to. Like, if you said it to another student, you would have to explain, like, why you said it and what were the feelings that led you that led up to you saying it. So it was just this giant, I don't know, misstep in logic where she's like, oh, I'm sure the John Carpenter's the thing will be fine. How did you get all the way through it? How did she, 
How was she in the room while that was playing and not like, oh, wait, we, I should I should stop. Oh, she wasn't in the room. Oh, well, that, okay. It's not a school anymore. It's fine, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, the 1951 movie is called The Thing from Another World. Uh, so, I mean. Aggressively on her. That, yes, exactly. So anyway, John is posing as the commander of this prison vessel. Yes, and Larocque tells him that he needs to he is on a priority red mission, which means that he needs to commandeer this vehicle and this crew and John. And he actually says he's going to need to commandeer this boat, hmm. which I thought was interesting because this is a space-faring race. This is a race that lives in space, but they still use nautical terms. Or maybe the translator microbes just translated it. Yeah, you probably translated it goofy. I bet there's a lot of weird side stuff. But yes, the boat and John, which, you know, I'm sure there's fan fictions that begin with that premise. Oh my. You know what's weird? As much as I love this show and as much as I love fan fiction, I don't think I've ever sought out any Farscape fan fiction. There you go. New project. Yeah, definitely a new project. So we go to credits with, you know, John being threatened by Larocque, and we come back from credits with John standing up for himself and saying he will not be threatened, and he attacks them with DRDs. <sighs> Which... are surprisingly effective. Like, we know that DRDs are pretty effective, but I think this is the most effective we ever see them. Their little guns are usually just like, pew, 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 pew. And now they're like, pew, (laughs) pew. Like, normally I get the impression that they give you, like, a little static shock, but this, like, knocks a gun out of a guy's hand. This is like, I... I, John makes it very clear. He's like, this ship is under my control. You can come in here and point guns wherever you want, but the ship is under my control. If you want favors from me, you need to be polite. If you want my help. You know what? I can't even do the bad John accent. But you know what? I know I have bad accents, so I'm not going to try. But yes. It's very Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins. Wow. Oi there, Mary Sebation. What you doing here to die? Chimney sweeps and what's it? <laughs> so... So, Larocque, like... Cre- Inspects the prisoners? Yeah, well, he wants to see the prisoners. Uh, we learn that the story that John and Aaron told him is that they were peacekeepers. They are with U-Tech, and they've been experimenting with Leviathan Tech, and they captured these prisoners out in the Uncharted Territories, which makes sense because, like you said, if these marauders have been flying around the Uncharted Territories, then it's possible they would have... Heard about the escape prisoners or seen the bounty plates or whatever. Mm. John and Aaron tell him that this is part of an experimental thing. Experiment. For, yeah, to con- <laughs> it's part of a thing where they're going to try to control Leviathans more efficiently without the like restrainer chip or whatever. The control collar. Yeah, and I I love this. Larock is like, oh yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, there's been a bunch of attempts before, and it all just ends with the peacekeepers getting pooped out into space. And John's like, well, clearly that's not happening here, so... Well, I mean, it's just funny to me, because clearly there is no there is no current experiment for that, but LaRock is like, oh yeah, I'm in the know. I know about that project. Jabberwocky. That's a Jabberwocky. Better, that's a better off Ted reference, which is worth watching if you haven't. It's like The Office, but kind of sci fi E. 
Yeah, well, it's it's like absurdism. It's like if 30 Rock in the Office merged and got a sci-fi edge. Yeah, there you go. I really, Better Off Ted was just ahead of its time. It If it had been like five years later when humor got more absurdist, it would have been much more successful. It's very good. And there's people you'll vaguely recognize from other things in it. Yeah, yeah. So, LaRock tells John that he himself has a package that he has captured, and he needs to get it to a peacekeeper base ASAP, so John needs to take him to a secret peacekeeper base that is here in the Uncharted Territories. This is the Gamak base. Mm. Apparently, nobody knows about this base except people who need to know, which now includes John, since he needs to take them there. And just a little preview for you of what we have coming up. I'll tell you, this is a science base where they do science experiments. Oh, but I thought the peacekeepers thought science sucked. I, it's actually a really interesting thing that we'll talk about as we get into it. So the other peacekeepers, LaRock's crew, they bring on the box that he Ooh. has. Yeah. They talk about how important it is. And then Chiana shows up pretending to be a servant and bringing them drinks. There's even a little conversation about how, oh, John, I guess, isn't as stuck up and into regulations as we thought since he has a non-peacekeeper sexy female servant on board. I think you're being pretty liberal with the word servant there. Yeah, no, they, they, yeah, yeah. They, they do, in fact, say, you're right, out loud that... John bought her, that she's his sexy alien slave girl, which is a sci-fi trope. It is a sci-fi trope. Ugh. Well, it's soon pretty clear that the whole reason Chiana is in here doing this servant shtick is to... Case the joint? Yes, exactly. To figure out what's in the box and how she can get at it. She sees one of the hench people open it up with a key, and then she starts like hardcore flirting with him and pretends to spill something on him so she can get all up close to him which he takes as like a sexy thing but what we will see in a second is that she is actually using a bit of some sort of soft material she has to take an impression of the key Hmm. yeah chiana is like she has the mission yeah and she is a master thief that is a she she succeeded in her skill check there Yeah. She's even so pleased with herself. She's like, it's almost too easy. I like Chiana. Yeah. Massively underutilized. And she gets paired with Rigel again this episode. Yeah. Well, I mean, they are the two thieves, so they haven't really figured out what to do with them separate from each other at this point. Mm. Also, Chiana tells them that food is available in the center chamber. So that room that we're like, you know, the kitchen, the dining room, what do you call it? So apparently they call it the central chamber. Hmm. And we get a sequence where we find out what the deal is with these particular peacekeepers. Hmm. They're special ops. So when Aaron and their captain walk into the room, they all just keep eating. And Aaron's like, do you have no military discipline? And he's like, yeah, no, we don't because we're special ops. We do special ops stuff. Hmm. And Aaron makes it clear that she has kind of a disdain for special ops. So they're not really marauders then. Yeah, I was going to correct you earlier, but I don't really know what to call them. I guess we hadn't gotten here. Yeah, we hadn't gotten here yet. It's weird 
apparently special ops goes on special operations, important mis- missions, like this particular mission to hunt down this virus. But, but they're not, like, respected or anything. They're no, like, they're, like, looked down on. Very similar to the tech thing, where techies were looked down on. Yeah, it's, like, a thing that, you know, the Sebations need for their armies to succeed, and yet they're very snobby about it. It feels like Sebations, peacekeepers, rather, should not be as successful as they are, considering how they look down on all of the support of their entire infrastructure. It's a little bit like the thing I'm given to understand our military has, where every branch of the military hates every other branch of the military. Oh, yeah, I guess that is a thing. Like, Army stands for Air Force Re- uh, Air Force Rejected Me Yesterday. Marine stands for My Ass Rides in Navy Equipment Sometimes. Yeah. I, I don't get that. The military culture is beyond me. Same here. There's a weird moment where Aaron is like... Yeah, you know what we call you guys back in regiment? We call you black ghosts. And Lorak is like, is that supposed to be mean? Because that sounds awesome. And Aaron's like, yeah, it's an insult. But I'm with Lorak. That sounds awesome. Yeah. It, it really reminds me of those Facebook groups, the, like, conservatives threatening us with a good time. Well, yeah, there's, like, the those political cartoons where it's, like, Oh no, look at AOC. She's Johnny AOC Appleseed and she's planting health care for all and, you know, good school programs. And I'm like, what part of this is supposed to be bad? Or, you know, the classic the classic t-shirts about how uh, feminism makes women leave their families and practice witchcraft. And it's like, nice. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yeah. So, uh, Aaron is, is not into this, but Lorac is into Aaron. Lorac is gonna try to convince Aaron to join them, to become a special forces person with him. And Aaron is gonna think about taking him up on it. Well, she's a pack animal by nature, and she misses her pack, so it makes sense. Yeah. So, they all go to talk... Sorry, before you get to this, I just want to talk about a brief moment that was only like a second long, but we skipped over it, and I really wanted to talk about it. Okay. Because we're back with Dargo and Zan and John, and before John joined them, we briefly had a second with Dargo and Zan, where they talked about John in his peacekeeper outfit. And Zan talks about how, like, good John looks in it, and Dargo is like, yeah, that's the problem. And I, well, no, I mean, I found... Wait, you don't think he looks good? He looks good. No, I think it looks really, really dumb on him. Which is too bad because it's apparently his new uniform. Well, I think he'll be happier when he strips down to basically wearing the Peacekeeper version of BDUs. So. I I don't particularly care for the design. Oh. It, it feels over-designed to me. That's fine. That's fair. But that wasn't my point. Yes. My point is... Dargo and Zan also are put off because John is wearing the uniform of a fascist military. And John is just like, red and black leather. Cool. And I find it so fascinating that the show included that aside. And on a meta level, it's interesting because you can talk about being in the fandom and wearing 
uniforms of fictional armies that are coded fascist and what that means, like what kind of weight that has. And additionally, like the kind of weight that that has now, as opposed to 10 years ago, or like wearing a Hydra outfit. It's, it's just, there's a lot to unpack in wearing the uniform of a fictional military that's supposed to be the Nazis. Hmm. And that Farscape was having that conversation in, like, 1999. Hmm. All right, if you hear a bit of a room noise, room sound, is that what, that's what, that's what the professionals call it, right? If you hear a change in room tone, it's because we have switched back to our baby's room because it is in the 80s here in Portland, and she is a baby, and this room is the best air-conditioned in the house. Yes. <laughs> so Dargo decides he has lost his chains. He is, he is shedding his chains like one of those people in those cities that Daenerys freed in that show that nobody talks about anymore because the ending was so bad. And Dargo is done with this. He is like, no, we are not going to a peacekeeper base. This is a bad idea. Abort mission. We're out of here. But John is still insisting that they should stick with the plan and get as much information out of the peacekeepers as they can. He's like, 20 arms is plenty of time to get lots and lots of information before we're actually in peacekeeper hands. And God, I'm kind of with Dargo here. It's a bad idea, John. It's because arms are basically hours. Like, yeah. they're not exactly hours. They're like 56 minutes or, you know, an hour and four minutes. But it's not a ton of time. And maybe it's not a good idea to, you know, fly into a peacekeeper stronghold. I know What's-His-Bucket is doing a terrible job looking for you, but come on. I, I, I know. And I mean, Crace is doing a bad job of looking for them. And John's biggest argument is they need to know what kind of force the peacekeepers have out here. But I don't know. They haven't found you yet. <laughs> so. Risk does not seem worth reward. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to get Rigel and pull him into this and see where Rigel stands. But he has escaped out of his cell. Because remember, he used to be able to escape out of his cell even when it was held by peacekeepers. That was his whole deal. Yes, this has been well established. Yes, well seated. So, everyone goes walking purposefully down the hall to try to find Rigel when, wah, wah, here comes Tom. Is that? Thorn. Thorn. Sorry, Thorn. One of the uh, one of the henchmen, one of the peacekeeper henchmen. Yes. So everyone has to run into their cells and pretend they're in their cells again. John runs into Dargo so they can put Dargo's chains back on him, but Dargo is refusing to put his chains back on. So when Thorn comes around the corner, Dargo like jumps John, like partly because he's actually pissed at him, and partly so they can like pretend that he actually is a prisoner and he and John are fighting, but. Yeah. This, this is just bad all around. Like It just makes John look incompetent. Exactly. Thorne has to like pull a gun on Dargo and quote unquote save John. I oh, it's not a like Dargo, I know you don't like John's plan, but yours is way 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 worse. I mean, if his plan is just kill all the peacekeepers, honestly, it's probably better than John's plan. Just turn up the heat and just shove them all into space. <laughs> I guess. I guess. So John like tries to save some semblance of face. Face with this guy and he's like if you I'm not going to do the bad British accent, but in a bad British accent he's like if you ever lay hands on me again, I will have you brought up on charges. And it's like no, John. 
chuffs and jillywiggers. Walk the... I... I... <laughs> rough show, good chum. Rough show. Yeah. So, in the central chamber, it is now just Aaron and Larocque, and things are getting, like, super sexy, by which I mean they're talking about ships they have flown in the past. Yeah, and he's like, you know what, ship, I want you to fly? My one-way trip to Bone Town. Is that, I, is that a ship? I want you to board my satellite of love. That was a little better. I feel like you lost the metaphor there. I can't think of any penis-shaped ships. All of them, I guess. <laughs> what What about, like... Hey, hey, I, I, I've got one. I've got okay, one. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Hey, you want to board my Enterprise D? Oh, my God! <laughs> Well, now I'm going to have to mark this episode explicit. I mean, just kidding. I marked them all explicit so that we can swear without worrying about it, but... Welp. Anyway, as I mentioned before, Larocque is trying to get Aaron to join his team. Yeah, you know that crew that you were, you know, super condescending and looked down upon? Why don't you join us? I mean, she doesn't seem super happy here, so... Yeah, yeah. So, in the... In the loading bay, Chiana is making a key out of the thing that she made, the, the mold that she made, and then she... One of the, she tells one of the DRDs to stop judging her as she goes to, you know, I love it. It's thing. adorable. I love how much personality they give the DRDs. Mm. When she goes into where the box is stored to open the box, she finds that Rigel is already there. Like, trying to figure out a way into it. I don't get why they assume this thing would be valuable. I know. if It's way more likely to be dangerous than valuable. Yeah. I and guess... also, it really is way more dangerous than valuable. Yeah. Like, these are the black ops people. They're not the people you, like, have guarding treasure. I... I can't think of anything they would be guarding that wouldn't be, like, a virus or a prisoner of war or something. Right? Ugh. Anyway, when Rigel sees Chiana, he's like, Ah, you snuck up on me. I'm going to have to make you wear a bell. And Get it? Because you're like a cat? And Chiana's like, keep your sexual fantasies to yourself. Which I bring up only because... He's not a body breeder? No, no. I mean, he clearly enjoys it, even though it's not how he breeds. Mm. But we're getting the, like, weird sexy times in the central chamber, so we're also getting weird counter-flirting <laughs> in the maintenance bay. Counter-flirting. Mm. It's like the opposite of anti-flirting. It's anti-flirting. So, Chiana continues her weird run of having bizarre alien language as her... I don't know, personality-defining trait. She's just much more foul-mouthed than everyone else. So that's why she has more swears than everyone else. She's like, don't get your prevos in a twist, which I'm assuming are privates. Yeah. Because, I mean, I would imagine underwear would translate, unless underwear is, like, an incredibly bad word in Rigel's language. (laughs) That is an interesting thought. Anyway, Chiana tells him, because she basically accepts that she's not going to get him to go away, that she'll split whatever's in there with him 50-50. And he is reluctant at first until she shows him that she's already got the key, because she is just a way better thief than he is, because she didn't waste a lot of time taking levels in Aristocrat like he did. Yeah, instead she took levels in Cleavage. Well, no, so, if you 
Rigel clearly multi-classed. He's clearly not a full rogue. He's like part rogue, part aristocrat, or part rogue, part diplomat. And so he's only like a third level rogue. And Chiana's like level six over here, just schooling him. I, I was talking more about the very male gazy framing of this scene where she's leaning over to talk to the Rigel puppet, which means the screen is about quarter way full of her cleavage for multiple extended shots. So we haven't mentioned it on this podcast, but I showed you those shots of the women of Farscape, like in in like a it was like a TV guide magazine. It was like a TV guide article about them well that's the thing all of the women were in these weird broken back sexy positions it was very uncomfortable and chiana's entire gg edgley gg edgley's entire interview was about how much time and care they spend putting the contouring on her cleavage in her makeup in fact she even mentioned that when she talked to her dad about it and she was like yeah i spent three hours in makeup he was like well clearly you spend they spend two hours on your boobs and one hour on the rest of you which is such a creepy thing for your dad to say to you and also it's exactly from (laughs) galaxy quest yes yes in galaxy quest zagorny weaver talk zagorny weaver complains about you know her tv guide interview being like four paragraphs about how she fits her breasts into that costume. That's, like, literally exactly what Gigi Edgley's was. I, it, I, for a show that has such great female characters, I found it very offensive. I'm just gonna throw that out there. I'm excited for Tim Allen to die so I can watch Galaxy Quest again. You've said that on this podcast before. It remains true. <laughs> Alright, so, yeah. Yeah. Chiana. Several, several, several levels of rogue with a specialty in cleavage. So, I mean, which to be fair, I'm sure gave her a bonus to her throw when she uh, <laughs> was getting that guy's key from him. So, yes. So she boobfully opens the uh, misty box, and they see, oh, it's some sort of weird alien creature. Yeah. So it's definitely worth the breaking and entering. Yep. It's got like a it's got like a weird heart thing in the center of it, like and the little heart thing is like glowing. Rigel says it's obviously still alive. I guess it's fair to assume that things don't continue to glow after death. I guess it's a fair assumption. Okay. Yeah, Rigel just says that it's obviously still alive. And one of the peacekeeper henchmen sees that the door is open and comes in. He sees that the box has been opened and is like, uh-oh, this is super bad. Guy has a real Jaws, Jaws the Bond henchman, not Jaws the Shark thing going on. He's got this, like, metal supportive plate thing over his chin. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's supposed to be part of his helmet, but yeah, yeah. So one of the other hench people come in and he just shoots him. Like, he shoots him dead and... Dargo and Zan, hearing the gunfire, are like, Oh, I guess I guess we're done pretending. Let's open the doors and go in guns blazing. But yeah, no, it wasn't the uh it 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 wasn't it it was friendly fire. Or what's the word for friendly fire when it's your enemies firing at your enemies? Is that still friendly fire? Friendly enemy fire? Enemy friend frenemy fire? A, it was another one of the peacekeepers from the crew from the what, what were they called? Special Dark ops. Ghosts. The black ghosts. Yeah. It was another one of them. He shot the guy and then he strangled the glowing box creature to death. Yep. That is what happened. Rachel and Chiana ran and hid. 
And Chiana... Makes it, like, ten feet before she gets caught by the guy. I mean, to be fair, she's much bigger than Rigel. She's kind of crawling Ugly Betty style across the floor trying to avoid him, and he's like, I see you. We're in this big empty hallway. Why do you think crawling would get you out of my line of sight? He, like, grabs her by her throat, though. It's a very scary moment, and the lighting is really severe. It's like... Both of their faces are half in shadow. And we in the audience see that the virus leaves that guy and enters Chiana, who then immediately kills him. By the way, sentient virus, you know, a bug's life. Yes. That's what they were carrying. They were carrying a sentient virus inside of a life form. I guess it just needed to be alive enough to carry the virus. It didn't need to be like... I don't know. Well, the reason the box was all misty when they opened it is that he was, like, frozen in stasis so that the virus would just be, like, stuck there. Yeah. But I'm just saying they found some lower life form to cram the virus in. Maybe. Or maybe it was a sentient life form that had the virus in it. Well, it wasn't a very good sentient life form then. Why not? Because it was just a cube of pulsing flesh. I I feel like you can't get a lot done if you're just a cube of pulsing flesh. I... Gelatinous cubes have a long, proud culture. I don't believe you're so prejudiced against gelatinous cube society. Also, it wasn't really like a cube. I mean, it like, it had features. It's just that they don't let us get a really clear look at it so that they don't have to build a really complicated puppet. It was like a lump of flesh. Gelatinous cubes should be proud of their culture. They've done a lot, but they're also, you know, big and gelatinous. They're not weird flesh cubes like... I don't know, that thing that's inside the box in Hellraiser, that's a flesh cube, right? Oh yeah, yeah it is. This thing is definitely way cooler than the flesh cube in Hellraiser. But anyway, sentient virus, that's what they're carrying. One of the peacekeepers has a ice gun that will, you know, freeze whatever the virus is in so they can bring it to the gamut base. But the gun, it just looks like an unpainted resin prop. It's not great. Yeah. So, everyone basically converges on the maintenance bay where we see the the dead little alien guy. Everybody freaks out because the virus has escaped. John asks in his terrible British accent, because clearly there's a dead alien there, what has escaped? And we see Chiana peering at them from the shadows. Yeah, she's kind of tripping out a little bit. She's like, whoa... Well, it's interesting because, you know, she is tripping out because she's got the virus in her. But we'll find out later that when the virus leaves your body, mm-hmm. it gives you like a mild hallucinogen so that you don't remember that you've been infected. I, I think that's an interesting addition to the the thing style stories. Even once the virus is no longer in you, you don't remember that you've been infected. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So the Peacekeeper crew is explaining to John, you know, the situation that the creature they were carrying is a sentient virus that they were going to try to bioengineer to take out enemies of the peacekeepers, blah, blah, blah. Which is why they didn't just kill it. Yes. Also, and this is important, it can only live in one host. The way it works, it has to jump from host to host. It's not a very good virus, then, is it? Until it lays its eggs. Hmm. So it has to be in one host for over an hour before they have to worry about it being in multiple people. Yes. Also, John says frel, which seems weird. Really? John says frel? Why? I mean... He, he's been hanging around other people who say it for almost a year now. I guess. Yeah, that's how it works. So, is Frel, like, 
galac a galactic standard swear, it seems weird that it got picked up from other people since they're all speaking different languages and if the translator microbe is just not working on swears. I would guess that it's a peacekeeper swear that a bunch of people pick up because the peacekeepers are freaking everywhere. Hmm. So they interrogate Chiana about what happened and she claims that the virus is inside Rigel. Fair. Smart. Yeah. E even it's a smart virus. Yes, it is a smart virus. I was going to say, even infected with a virus, Chiana knows what's up and knows how to lie. <laughs> so everyone breaks up to start looking for Rigel. And also, John gets to look bad again because he let Rigel escape from, from his imprisonment. <laughs> yeah, he is not impressing these peacekeepers. He kind of sums up the situation. Okay, virus loose, got Rigel, still peacekeepers everywhere. And Aaron's like... Okay, just time to kill them now. It could have just killed everyone. Like, if if only that uniform hadn't fit you, we wouldn't be in this situation right now. Yeah, no, oh my god, she is, she is hardcore coming down on John. She's like, what a misfortune it is that that uniform did not fit me. Like, damn, damn, Aaron. I mean, presumably if the uniform hadn't fit anyone, you could have all just killed them and then moved on with your day well yeah then john wouldn't have been able to propose this plan yeah yeah but i mean the point is and i think that this is a point worth making aaron doesn't necessarily think john had a bad plan just that he's terrible at it why add an accent to this <laughs> why make it that much more complicated for yourself right so the leader of the peacekeepers is like hey dude it looks like all your prisoners escaped. Yeah, and Aaron's like, okay, well, charade's over. Let's all kill everybody. But John's like, wait, wait, I've got this. And he, pretending to still be the peacekeeper warden, is like, hey, listen, prisoners, there's a virus. This is what's happening. If we don't kill Rigel, we'll all die. So let's join forces. And Dargo's like, kill Rigel, you say. <laughs> All right. I don't know what's happening, but all right. So I might be being a little unfair to John because I, I've i been on team... Listen to John's plans? Oh, no, I've been on team, okay, you should just kill all the peacekeepers. Oh, yeah. But on the other hand, I guess killing sentient creatures is wrong, and it's good that this is something John's still trying to avoid at this point. I guess... Like... The virus is sentient. Yeah, but it doesn't have a people body. Okay. So it's easier to justify killing it. Okay. So we get some... Plus he thinks it hidden Rigel, so eh. <laughs> so we get some exposition here, which tells us that there's no test to determine who has the virus in them, but that when the virus leaves you, it gives you this, like, hallucination drug, which has a high acidity, so we can test who the virus has been in, and you cannot be reinfected with the virus after it's been in you. Hmm. So those are the rules. The rules have been laid out. Remember all of these things. Also, if you stab it with caffeine, it will die. No, that's from the faculty. Ah. Uh, I mean, were I the virus, you know what I'd do? Get inside pilot so that you can control Moya, or get inside Moya. I, I was going to say get inside pilot, so... Yeah. Yeah, it seems like it would be the logical thing, and then you could just poop everyone out into space. Yeah. And then you could just, like, spore at your leisure inside of Moya. Yeah. Yeah. Stupid virus. I know, we'd be so much better at being a virus. 
So it is reconfirmed by the lady scientist, the lady scientist peacekeeper, because if you're going to be the one lady on the team, I guess you also have to do the job that everyone hates. Yeah. So she confirms that when the virus leaves you, it has a mild hallucinatory effect, so you don't remember, you know, what it did when it was inside you. Right, the thing we were talking about earlier. And Zan's like, oh, that sounds like a good excuse for John to, you know, trip out later in the episode because we can't do one goddamn episode of Farscape without Ben Browder tripping, which is fine. He's good at the physical comedy, but come on. It's Ben Browder's deal. So everyone has split into pairs, and John has been... Put with Chiana, or, or John has has gone with Chiana. It's all very Scooby-Doo. Yeah, yeah. Aaron is paired with Larocque, and she's like, um, so why didn't you just kill the virus so we don't have to do this whole number? And he's like, come on, germ warfare. It's so effing obvious. He's like, this is what happens when you don't have sci-fi movies in your sci-fi universe. You think it's a good idea to keep a sentient virus that inhabits your crew members around. And she points out, like, but this is clearly a suicide mission. He's like, yeah, we lost a ton of people. Yeah, she's like, two of your crew have already died. And he's like, way more than two. Seriously, we used to be like an effing battalion. I'm honestly surprised there are as many of them left as there are. I mean, one would think that at a certain point, if there were that many more of them, it would have laid its eggs and spread some. Yeah. You know what I just realized? What? The reason that they landed on Moya is because there was an issue with their ship leaking fuel. But I bet it was sabotaged by a crew member. In the throes of uh, possession? Yeah, to make them get closer to another group of people so there were more people for it to inhabit so it could spread. Yeah, makes sense. So here's where we get really into the thing territory. Yeah, there's like the creepy suspenseful scene where John is just like blithely talking and talking. We should probably mention what John Carpenter's The Thing is in case people aren't familiar with it. You know, I hadn't even thought about that, but you're right. You want to do a quick synopsis? Okay, so it is, this is a staple of horror these days, but The Thing is a story about a group of scientists at the Arctic Circle who discover a weird alien life form that has the ability to shapeshift. It came to Earth a while ago, but it's been frozen for centuries in Arctic ice. Yeah. And the whole thing is an exercise in paranoia because the thing can shapeshift. So they're not sure who is, you know, one of them and who is the creature who's just picking them off one by one. It's a really good movie. It's an exercise in sort of, uh, what's that word? Like tension? Yes. Uh, it's a it's a great John Carpenter's The Thing is particularly good because it's both a suspenseful thriller where the tension comes from, you know, who is really the alien, what is going to happen, but also has a lot of really creepy body horror. Like, oh, it, it, yeah. it has both ends of the horror spectrum. It, it is also, as we said, a sci-fi staple. So if you've watched any sci-fi, you've probably seen... Some variation on this. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, it, it comes up in fantasy sometimes, too. Oh, I'm, yeah, definitely. I'm willing to bet. Yeah. Any possession story has some elements of this. It's even kind of touched on a little bit in Face Off, which pretends to be a movie that's not sci-fi, but was originally a sci-fi script. So it maintains some sci-fi elements that make no sense because it's supposed to be in the real world. Like the face-swapping thing? Yeah, and also the the magnetic prison. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> So Aaron and Zan find Rigel 
He got into the crawl space. He's like, I'm not coming out because you're all running around with guns and um, I hate it. Yeah, not stupid. Don't 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 see this ending well for me. Yep. Yep. And uh, he's, he's been frozen before. He's not a fan. It's true. It's true. Well, uh, LaRock has the freeze gun. So he's like, yeah, let him stay there and I'll just shoot him and freeze him. And Rigel's like, I'm not the one who has the virus. It went into someone else. And John's like staring at Tiana and he's like, oh. Yeah, John is starting to get it. Rigel's like, wait, I wasn't the only one there. But too late, Stasis gun. He's in stasis. And it only had the one shot. Oh, yeah, that's the thing we didn't mention. The stasis gun can only fire once every... He says it takes a few microts to recharge, which is only a few seconds. But, I mean, if it takes 30 seconds for the gun to recharge, that's that's a significant amount of time in a firefight. Mm. So... John has just started to realize that something might be off with Chiana, but too late! Virus jumps over to John! Yep, Chiana belches in his face, and Ben Browder's like, I get to do my work! Yeah, Ben Browder lets us know that he's infected with a virus by, like, curling his lip. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So now John is super cool. He's super in command. He's definitely not possessed by an alien, guys. So when he's walking around, and he's like ranting about how wild everything is. He's like, Peacekeeper's on the ship, Rigel is frozen, cats and dogs living together. And I was like, really, you guys? Bill Murray impressions? That's what we're doing? I found out that was Ben Browder ad-libbing. And the guys, and, and the Farscape guys were like, that's genius, keep it in. And I'm like, okay. Mm. You are all blinded by Ben Browder's charisma, clearly. Like, it's not that great a line. It kind of hurts me when he says it, but... I see how he's a charming guy, and you were like, oh yeah, keep that in. So he talks about how he's going to talk to the sexy peacekeeper to get some sexy information from her with sex. And Zan's like, okay, fair. And Dargo's like, I don't understand why you do any of the things you do, so <laughs> Zan- whatever at this point. Zan's like, there's not, there's not a way around any of this. She already told us, and John's like, well, maybe I'll talk to her. John also insists that... After everything that has happened, they still need to stay the course, keep pretending to be peacekeepers, and get to the peacekeeper base. Or at least keep on on, on track to go to the peacekeeper base. I mean, to be fair, he's possessed by the virus at this point, but the virus was really kind of depending on him being a... I don't know, the worst planner ever up to this point, because if he hadn't been so insistent on, oh, we need to go into literally the enemy stronghold to get information to avoid that guy we haven't seen since episode four. Yeah, I mean, John was making this bad argument before he was infested with the virus. So Dargo gets back in his cell. Zan steps back in her cell, but is still arguing with John when one of the peacekeepers comes around the corner and John just full on hits her to hold his cover. Well, you know, because he's the virus, mm. and then pushes her into the cell. It's a fucked up moment. Yeah, it is rough. And and poor Zan looks so hurt emotionally, not physically. Well, I think she's also Physical. realizing that it's not John. Ah. Like, John wouldn't do that. So, LaRock is telling Aaron how super effing dead Rigel is. Yeah, there's no way to cure Rigel of the virus that won't kill, kill him. him. Yeah, I, I 
it's creepy. It's like such a creepy way to put it, but it's such a good line. Lorac says he doesn't know it, but he's already spoken his last words. Mm. Yeah. And, I mean, the virus jumps from person to person, so... Well, but they can't let it keep jumping, so at some point, you have to freeze someone and be like, well, they're the person who takes the hit. I guess microns have to be pretty long, because I'd have to imagine if it was seconds, those seconds would have elapsed by this point. Oh, I think the gun works again, but they think that they have Rigel frozen. Oh, yeah, I guess. Wait, so Aaron and What's-His-Bucket think that he still has the virus in him? Because it seems like everyone else has understood that, oh, wait, it's in someone else at this point. No, no, they think Rigel's... Everyone except Zan thinks that Rigel has the virus. Oh, okay. John figured out that Rigel didn't have the virus, but now the virus is in John, so ah. that that knowledge did him no good. And remember, the virus gives you uh, that hallucination effect, so even Shiana doesn't know that it wasn't in her. Hmm. So as we hinted at before, Larocque is going to try to convince Aaron to... Come be special ops. And also bone him. Yeah, in fact, he's even like, I know you're boning your captain, so you probably don't want to come bone me. I understand you have some sort of, like, loyalty. And Aaron's like, oh, no. No, no, no. No, 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 no. No. We are not boning. Ben Browder is approaching blonde peacekeeper lady. Does she get a name? Yeah, she has a name. It's Hassan. But he creepily calls her Hot Lips. Ugh. Yeah. Is there a universe where anyone is pleased to be called hot lips? No. It's like calling someone, I don't know, sugar ass. What is your best case scenario here? Okay, I think he was specifically referencing hot lips Houlihan when he called her hot lips. But it's still not a thing anyone ever wants to be called. Oh, from MASH. From MASH, yes. Ugh. So, speaking of being creepy... I mean, he's a virus-possessed guy who's going to just kill this lady, so... Yes, yes, which is what happens. He creepily sidles up behind her and, like, grabs the back of her head and, like, crushes her. Like he just wangs her into the table over and over again until she's dead. It's... Brutal. brutal. Yeah. And then he takes the ice gun and breaks that. So, now there is no way for John to be frozen. Uh Uh-oh. Smart virus. Well... If the virus was really smart, you'd think it would just, you know, possess Moya, as we suggested earlier. I think the virus probably can't um, possess she's, Moya. She, she's I think a she's, lot. Yeah, I think that would be a lot. But it could it could possess Pilot if it was smart. Yeah, I mean, it's smart for a virus. So in their cells, Zan and Dargo are talking about how, yeah, that virus was definitely not in Rigel, right? And Chiana comes up and... I love how Zan's like, hey, hey, come here, shut up, come here. Now tell me, did you have the virus in you? She's Do you like, have any gaps in memory? Do you feel tripped out? Do you feel like you've been hitting the Mary Jane? Here, lick this blanket. Because she came up with an acidity test. Apparently Zan has like a hypercolor blanket. Do you remember hypercolor? I do. Apparently Zan has like a hypercolor blanket in her cell. So that when Chiana licks it, if it changes color, it means her spit has acidity. And Chiana's like, are you tinkled? Which is a weird fake swear. Yes. Normally they uh, put the fake swears in italics, but they didn't for tinkled. That is weird. But yeah, they find out that Chiana has the antibody, which means that she had the virus, which means, you know, it's not in Rigel, which means it's definitely in someone else, and everything is terrible. It's gonna be in John. He's the main character. Also, John tells Pilot to speed up, get them to the Gamic base 
faster. And Aaron's like, what? And John's like, well, that's what they would expect a peacekeeper to do. So that's what I should do. Mm. Act a little more suspicious, John. Or pick up on stuff, Aaron. Dear Lord, it's not like you guys don't get possessed or drugged or whatever every other week. I mean, Aaron is blinded by her attraction to LaRock. I think that's the problem here. The real moral is never get horny. That is a good moral. It's like that uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend song, Without Love. Yes, without love, everyone would be so much better at everything. Exactly. Anyway, one of the other peacekeepers, like the only remaining peacekeeper, right? It's just LaRock and this one guy now. Yeah. Yeah. He comes in and is like, hey, uh, Hassan's dead. Bad news. So that one lady we made do all the crap jobs is dead. So now we have to do the crap jobs. Yep. Zan and Dargo come running in at just that moment. And uh, I love how Zan's like, the virus is in Crichton. And the peacekeeper head guy's like, who? Even though she very dramatically pointed at Crichton. So we get this big slow. Oh, yeah, he is a, I'm sorry. We forgot to mention he is a fake peacekeeper name. Oh, yeah. Da-Ave or something. (laughs) Da-Ave. So they get a big, they get into a big scuffle, and instead of being like a choreographed fight like you would normally see on this kind of thing, it's just like a scuffle. So that it, it's a what's that thing called? It's like three card Monty, right? Uh-huh. Where they're all just scuffling around, so you can't see where the virus goes. Mm. And uh, yeah, uh, when everybody breaks up, John's like, "Wait, what's happening? I'm totally high." And I'm super baked, bro. Yep. And uh-oh, where is the virus? It could be in anyone except Chiana or John. Yeah. Everyone pulls out their guns and does like a Reservoir dog standoff. And John's like, wait, wait. So the virus can't be in me or Chiana, right? And then he like grabs Chiana. And he's like, okay, we're, we're going to step back from this whole thing. But otherwise, I think this is a good plan. Good plan. Dear Lord, John. No, I mean, okay, look, I kind of agree with John. He says, I know as weird as it is, all of us standing in a circle with our guns drawn on each other is probably the best thing right now for the fact that we don't know who has the virus in them. Like, it's a uh, I mean, yeah. mutually assured destruction. We're all just going to stand here and not shoot each other, but keep our guns out. I mean, they only have so long until the virus can lay its eggs, so. Well, okay, that's true. At some point, someone's going to have to shoot. If only, uh, if only Moya had some way of freezing a whole lot of people. Oh, yeah, they did freeze... Rigel. Right, right. I mean, I, we talked about how they froze Rigel, but I hadn't thought about how they could just do that to everybody right now. Yeah. Yeah. If only Moya remembered the stuff she could do. Huh. Well, she's pregnant. She's got pregnancy brain. True. She's currently in labor, actually. That's true, too. She has currently in labor brain. <laughs> yeah. So everyone starts flailing and yelling more because this situation is not tenable by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Now, Zan thinks that she can make an antibody, even though the peacekeepers can't. So she's going to do that while everybody else keeps holding guns on each other. If only she had some sort of brain magic she could use. Okay. I know. That's not how her powers work. That's not how her powers work. But also... We know that when the virus leaves the body, your body is more acidic. Your body's more acidic. So she's like, "Ah, I'll just make a solution of alkaline, and then everyone will be good." Which is like, that, that's like an idea you come up with in sixth grade science. So I feel like it's not the answer, except it is. I guess this is what happens when you're a peacekeeper and you look down on all your scientists. Could it even possess Zan? She's a fern. That's a good point. I guess it's possible that it couldn't. We don't know. 
I mean, we, we won't know. It doesn't try to. So Zan gets the alkaline solution. Everybody one by one is going to inject it into themselves to see that they are not the alien. <laughs> Zan goes first and then Aaron like storms up and grabs it, and she injects it. And nothing happens. And she goes, told you, told you I wasn't the alien. This is also directly from the thing. Yeah. Also in the faculty. Mm. I So I don't know why I keep coming to the faculty. That's such a silly movie. But I don't know. Here we are. So everyone jumps to it being the Luxon. And uh, main peacekeeper guy's like, shoot him, shoot him now. And Ben Browder's like, I can't. I love him. Yeah, I don't know why they dropped to it, jumped to it being Dargo. Like, because... Dargo and LaRock both have not taken the injection at this point. Well, racism. I guess. So, you couldn't. You guys couldn't wait ten more seconds to test the last two guys? It's weird. Okay, and for whatever reason, there's only one batch left? Like, Zan only made enough alkaline to test LaRock or Dargo? I guess they were hoping that they would get to the right person before they ran out? Like... I guess they hoped that it wouldn't be come down to the last two people. But John has to decide who to inject the the, vi- the antibody into, either Larocque or Dargo, and he injects it into Dargo. And the peacekeeper guy starts, you know, shooting everyone. Yeah, because there's no effect on Dargo, which means Larocque is the one. Also, I love this. As they're running through the ship, John's like, pilot, pilot. And pilot's like, yeah, I've been watching this. I have been watching this whole human drama. I'm aware. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, seal off the ship. Just cut everyone off. Just poop them into space, as Max would say. Yes. And so pilot does. He, He does seal up the ship. So now they're on a giant ship the size of, like, Manhattan, hoping to not run into each other, but... LaRock and Aaron are in the same tiny piece together. Oh no, if only everyone wasn't always in the same four rooms or so. Yeah. Then LaRock, like, does this weird, like, monologuing thing to Aaron. Like, for some reason, he needs to monologue his plan, which is to kill everybody and go to the Peacekeeper base and then, like, infect the entire Peacekeeper base. He has, like, a sword. I guess that's not that weird for peacekeepers to have a sword, but he has his part of his uniform is a sword, which he takes and stabs Aaron with. Oof. Yeah, impractical weapon in space fights, but they do seem to get used a lot. I mean, Dargo has his sword thing. Well, actually, knives and swords are a great weapon in space because... Oh, right. Explosive decompression is a thing. (laughs) Because explosive decompression. They have that action moment where Aaron is like, Crichton, just shoot him. You know, don't worry about me because, you know, he's using Aaron as a human shield. And he's like, it's too bad. Larock really did love you to Aaron. And Aaron's like, I knew him for like 15 minutes. Seriously? And then he stabs her. Yeah, it... Not good. It's bad. So Aaron's lying on the ground, bleeding out, while Dargo tries to help Aaron. And John runs off to chase LaRock down because the virus can't reinfect him because it can only infect you once. Remember the rules. Hmm. But before John gets to him, Chiana jumps him. Like, he walks into the hangar, and Chiana has been hiding behind the door of the hangar. She pounces like the giant cat she is. She jumps him, and she grabs a hold of his neck and rips off his, uh, his dog tags symbolism possibly so john comes following after gun drawn and chiana's like he's there he's in the transport hangar 
And Tiana's like, Pilot, close the door so he can't get away. And John's like, wait, no, Pilot, is it still leaking fuel? And Pilot's like, yeah, it's still leaking fuel. And John's like... Blow his ass up. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, Moya doesn't have any weapons. But John's like, hey, um, just let it go. And then turn around and then just fire our engines so that our engines ignite the fuel. But, uh, that's what he does. And the rock blows up and... That's how John saved all the peacekeepers, I guess. Well, at least... Because was going to go infect the peacekeeper base. Should they have let him go? Like... I I never thought about it before, but... They should have let him go, right? I guess John doesn't want to kill... You should have just killed all the peacekeepers when they first showed up. I mean, I guess John abides by the Geneva Conventions. Like, germ warfare like that is not... Cool. Not cool, but honestly, I think from now on, like every time he faces Scorpius, I'm gonna be like, yep. should have let Larock kill him. Yeah. Huh. I can't believe I've never thought about this before. So, we're having the decompression bit now that the main action is over. Dargo has removed the chains from his cell because he vows once more to never be chained again, which, okay, dude, well, we've seen how that's worked out for you in the past. I so. like how, like, Zan's trying to be a good friend. She's like, I, I hope that's the case. And Dargo's like, it's not a hope, it's a fact. It's eh. a fact. Facts are just opinions, and, and opinions, opinions can be, be wrong. wrong. So, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Everyone is like, wow, Crichton's plan was so stupid. <laughs> which, yeah. Yeah, there, yep. there was never a point where this was a good plan. We see that everybody is, is kind of down right now. Everybody, it, it's like the end of Empire, you know? And, uh, end of Empire Strikes Back. Yes. And we see Aaron still kind of recovering from her wounds. I mean, the rest of the ship is still, the rest of the crew is recovering from their wounds, like, metaphorically speaking, but Aaron is recovering from her wounds, like... She got stabbed. Like, she got stabbed. And I remember when we were watching this show, you said... Oh, no, it's she's a main character. I wonder what's going to happen. And, I mean, first of all, main characters absolutely die in this show. Mm-hmm. But also, I'm going to just kind of use this end of the episode here to segue into... Next week? Next week's episode description. We're not really going to have segments for this one, I, are we? I have it, segments. Really? Yeah. Because it's a bottle episode. I, well, I don't have the one segment, but... Okay, uh, sorry, go on. Next time's episode is called Nerve, and the description is... Crichton and Chiana try to infiltrate a peacekeeper base to get some vital medicine for Aaron. Crichton gets caught by Scorpius and is imprisoned. Ah, first appearance of the real big bad of Farscape. Yeah, I mean, one of them. We'll reach a point where he's not the big bad anymore either, because it's like, you know, Buffy rules. Ah, but, uh, yeah, the point is Aaron's injury will have repercussions, even if they're not her dying. Yes. So, um, I actually do have a couple of segments. I don't have a strange alien creature segment because it's a bottle episode. So not the oozing box creature? I, 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 first, I think it looked better than your, than your... It was fine. But no, no. Uh, but I do have a distant part of the universe, which is, you know, what world building worked for you oh what world building worked for you here so i actually found it really interesting the way special ops were looked down on when we first saw that and you were like special ops are looked down on like what what do what do peacekeepers like i tried to think of a real world equivalent to be like oh it's like 
but I couldn't. Yeah. The idea that special ops are, like, important and they do, like, kind of the cool one-off missions, but that they're looked down on does make the Peacekeepers distinctly alien. Yeah. I can see that. So, yeah. And what emotionally worked for you in the episode? What is your way home? Um, so this is kind of like a second act episode where it gets us where we need to be for the finale. So I don't have a looking for a way home in this episode. I don't know if you do. Okay, I'm not sure if this counts as a looking for the way home, but I really love how horrifying the scene where the possessed John kills the female peacekeeper is. Yes. Like, it is a startlingly effective scene, because it's really, really brutal. Like, he just grabs her and smashes her over and over again into a a table until she's dead, and it's honestly kind of hard to watch, which I guess is sort of the opposite of what you know, looking for a way home normally is, but it's just a very effective scene. You get how brutal this virus is, how inhuman it is. Yeah. Yeah, I can totally see that. So I guess that'll do it for this week. Yep. All right. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of the supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, and Benjamin. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. Uh, we can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter, or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. Mm-hmm.